Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post Senate act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your etiquette questions on wedding attire color codes, thanking hospice workers, tech rules at the table at home and out to eat, when to include sentiment in a wedding ceremony, and should shower hosts give gifts? Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript segment on chivalry. Coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Ta-da! Ta-da! Okay, I'm not harmonizing because I can't, but you're still going! Because your daughter was at the bridal shower she attended this weekend for our lovely cousin Jill. The Post family all gathered along with Jill's closest friends and and kind of some of the wonderful, I would say, ladies in her life who her mom is friends with and who kind of helped helped Jill out in life and everything. And it was a wonderful time. And your daughter was hamming it up. Oh my goodness, she is such a little person. I'm so sorry I missed it. <laughs> you, you should be. I'm sorry. I don't mean to say it like that, but it was priceless, Dan. I couldn't wait to come into work and hear about it from your perspective because I got home that evening <laughs> and was like, so Pooch, how'd the shower go? How'd Anisha do? And she just looked at me and her eyes got all big. She says, you won't believe it. She is totally a uh, party girl, your child. <laughs> we were calling Anisha the party baby. She is the party baby. She's the party baby. She does the cutest little thing. So you have to know that when Anisha's really enjoying something, at least, and tell me if I'm wrong, Dad, but she makes this face and it's like both gritty and excited at once. And she kind of like scrunches up her nose and her mouth gets really big and her eyes close way down. And it's like you can feel all of her eeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeeee
taking care of, of watching Anisha the whole exactly, time. Yeah. And it sounds like quite the opposite was the case. <laughs> no, it definitely was. It was also really, really fun just to have Suze, uh, your, your sister-in-law Suze was there. And my sister and Jasper were there, and it had kind of been a while. We also have a new engagement in our family. Mm-hmm. Cousin Peter proposed to his girlfriend, Elena, and she said yes. So it was honestly a big celebration, I feel like. Uh, for some folks, it was the first time they were getting a chance to meet Jasper. Mm-hmm. For many, it was the first time they had seen Anisha since she was born. Mm-hmm. And so it was really just, it, it was kind of a big catch-up for all of us. And And Jill had a wonderful time. She felt very celebrated, I will say. So no worries. Children did not distract. Also important and a big consideration. Exactly. Like other engagements did not distract. It was really, it was a wonderful celebration of Jill and a a real coming together of the family. So it was great. Well, I'm looking forward to that wedding. And this sort of felt like the beginning of that (laughs) wedding season. Totally. Totally. Hey, I would talk about our party all day long because it was, it's the first we've had in a while. So I'm really excited about it. Proud dad would do it with you. Yeah, like totally. But we do have a few uh, a kind of show update and, and quasi-apology to make to some of our listeners. I think that's a good way to introduce the okay. idea that I, we wanted to make an announcement for all the sustaining members out there. We have made an effort to record bonus content for you. Every time we record a show, we do an extra question. And there was a little glitch. There was a little hiccup in the posting of that bonus content to the bonus content episode that appears every 10 episodes with the sustaining members. And this is a general announcement to all those sustaining members out there that we've backloaded a bonus question for each of the last, I'd say about 15 episodes. So Yeah, it took us a while to figure out this was going on. And we so apologize for that because we know you're looking for that content and and you're being amazing, amazing supporters of the show. And so we we felt truly horrible when we discovered what had been happening. Um, but we really wanted to let you know that, that all of that content is up and available for you now to just absolutely binge on. And it's there. So... Please enjoy and please look forward to about a bonus question per show in the future moving forward in that bonus content. And for those of you that have no idea what we're talking about, <laughs> you can find out more about becoming a sustaining member of the Awesome Etiquette podcast at awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com. All sustaining memberships receive all of the bonuses, no matter what level you are participating at. We are so grateful for any help in keeping this show going and available to everyone. So thank you, sustaining members, and thank you to our audience. And I think it's probably time to get to our show. Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions on how to behave. And if you have a question for us, please email it to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. 
StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is Color Me Puzzled. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. Thanks for taking my question. I love your podcast. It is such a lovely distraction from the daily demands of my three preschool-age kids. My question is about wedding invitation wording and attire expectations. My husband and I are invited to a wedding in New York in July, and the invitation lists the attire as formal, and it includes wedding colors. Does this mean I'm supposed to dress in those colors or avoid them? Is there a specific purpose in including the wedding colors on the invitation? I am from Indiana, and I've never seen this before. Is this a thing on the East Coast? Thanks for your help, and keep up the great podcast. Color me puzzled. Color us puzzled, too. I was definitely confused by this one, and it's why I wanted to bring it up. I'm hoping that more of our listeners may have experienced this and shed some light on this I don't want to call it a trend because it is the first time I'm hearing of this. The closest example I have is I'm fairly certain, and I could be wrong, so um, celebrity watchers out there, let me know if I don't have it right. But I'm pretty sure Jay-Z and Beyonce had a black and white wedding where all the guests were asked to attend in either black or white attire. And that I have seen done where there's really a color theme that goes throughout the entire event. That may be what this is. Usually, you would not put color designations on the invitation. You would just, you wouldn't even really put formal. You would put black tie if it's going to be black tie. Anything else would be reserved for the wedding website for guests to kind of discover on their own or just simply show up in their formal attire. It's interesting because this could be an indication of what the bridal party is wearing so that you don't wear the same colors as the bridal party. A lot of female guests have that uh, uncomfortable moment when they realize that the dress they've chosen to wear actually quite resembles the bridal party. And then there's a lot of questions all night long and you feel really awkward, even though you shouldn't, but you do. And so it had not can, occurred to me, right? but I can see what you're talking about. Totally. Like it can be a thing. And so what I would do in this moment of confusion is call my host and ask, because I think that's going to be your best bet. And I would say, hey, I noticed that you had your colors listed. Was that an indication that we should go towards these colors or stay away from them because they might be associated with the bridal party? Would love a little direction when you have 
have a moment. Something like that is easy peasy to do. I think you might not be the only guest calling to find out what this designation means. But when you keep things light and I'm excited, I'm ready to participate and I want to do it well in the way you want me to... People don't think you're silly or stupid or wrong for calling to ask that question. I was thinking of it as just more info. Right. From an advice perspective, I would say don't clash, coordinate. (laughs) I mean, if it was a black and white wedding, I like thinking about that because it, it, it sort of introduces the idea of there being a theme that you might want to play along with. Right. And in the note to us, it doesn't say that these are associated with the bridal party. It just says includes the wedding colors. Okay. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, my mother always said, "Don't put me on color committee." I know you're you a visual artist who who knows color wheels and what's complementing and what's I, contrast. I don't even know the theory or the terminology, but <laughs> no worries. I can imagine that there might be certain wedding color themes where you might choose something that would really stick out or go with. And there might be ways to play with that if that was something you enjoyed, something you liked to do. (laughs) Exactly. Color me puzzled. We think that this is a good problem to solve by calling the host and you will be in good stead to do so. Our next question is about thanking hospice workers. This question came in via our voicemail and it comes from Mary. I'm calling today with a question about gratuities or gifts for um, hospice workers. My mom is in the late stages of cancer. I've recently traveled back to New Mexico, where I'm from. I live now on the East Coast, and I'm staying in my mom's house while we go through this process of death and dying with her. We are doing hospice care in the home, and so there are a number of people that come to see her, you know, every day or every other day, nurses' aides and nurses who bathe her, change the sheets, help us with any number of things. And I'm wondering what's an appropriate way to show our gratitude to them. Is it something that we do each time they come? Is it something that we do after she's passed? What would we do? Is it appropriate to give a monetary gift or an actual gift or just, you know, write them a thank you card? It's it's just such an intimate process dying, and they're so involved in it, and they've all been so kind and uh, compassionate, and it feels weird not to do something for them, but I don't know what would be right. So I'm wondering if maybe you have any input. And... Um, Anything you have to offer, I would really appreciate. So thanks so much, and thank you for a really wonderful show. I really appreciate it. Dan, you worked in hospice, so I thought this would actually be a great question to toss to you, and I could learn learn from you on it. I did respite work for hospice here in central Vermont in college. My mother was the director for central Vermont Home Health at the time and mm-hmm. connected me with the organization And it was one of those surprises in my life. I found it some of the most rewarding work I've ever done. I still think about it, even though it was something I only did for months at a time over the summer when I was home in Vermont. And it had a real impact on me. And it was impactful and also incredibly rewarding. And I I wanted to share that because I think one of the things that made it so special for me was the connection that I felt developed between all the people involved in a lot of those hospice situations. And 
as someone who was there doing work, I felt incredibly close and connected to family. I also could feel their appreciation for the support they were receiving. And it, it, it has impacted me to this day. And I would say never underestimate the power of that genuine thanks and appreciation and the impact that you're having on these people as well as the impact they're having on you through the support they're giving. I remember one of the things that you had talked about when we were working on hospice care. It was something when you came to the Institute, it was an experience that you brought and a firsthand experience that I could learn from from you. And one of the things that we talked about was that your and and you had just said it, that your gratitude for the experience, a lot of that comes because you are able to be there for someone in a time of need. And I don't know about you or all of our listeners out there, but that feeling of being able to hope, to help, excuse me, and being someone who can say, yes, I can do this for you right now. I can change these bed sheets. I can clean things up. I can go deal with that person at the front door for you or Just whatever Just be it is. here so you can get some sleep or it, some rest or take a walk this afternoon Just to feel rest assured exactly it's such a gift to be able to provide that to someone and a lot of the folks in hospice are the type of hearts and and souls that are going to embrace that and feel it from the get-go so even if you're in that moment of grief where maybe today you didn't say as many thank yous as you did yesterday it's still something that the people who are there are appreciative of being able to be there for you to help out for. That alone is is a, a thing that's happening, is a sentiment that's happening, even without any of the words being exchanged. I don't want to say that that means you shouldn't say anything. <laughs> and make an effort. Let people know. Let them know how much you appreciate the support that they're providing. And that is, in many ways, the, the best you can do. And that's you at your best. The question about what to do when the hospice is over, when your mother has passed, is something that it's worth thinking about a little bit ahead of time. That's part of the process behind hospice is being intentional about what's going on and thinking ahead, making plans, being prepared is is part of that. And thinking about offering thanks, the traditional etiquette is that you respond to notes of condolence and sympathy. Mm -hmm. So that's one just idea that you can keep in your mind. And you might find that you get some notes of sympathy and condolence from hospice workers. And that's one way to start that connection process. Specifically, I think thinking about a way to thank the organization, the hospice organization that has helped you is something we're thinking about. And a general note of thanks, directing other people who are interested in making donations to that hospice is another way you can thank the organization. As far as individual workers, if there is someone who you feel really connected to, I think it's appropriate to reach out to them in a personal way and offer your thanks. As far as whether you would give them gifts of cash or, or tangible gifts, I don't think that I would have that on my list of things that I would be thinking of. They're really doing this work because it's something they care about. Sometimes it's something that they're paid to do. And whatever the case, they're not expecting to be tipped or paid by you directly. So I think that a general thanks, a personal thanks, a note, a card, a very brief letter, <laughs> if you felt so inspired, is one way to, to really personalize and connect in a personal way. We often hear of people, especially at the holidays, sometimes in reference to like home aides, people who come into the home to help, offering consumable gifts for the whole organization. Do you think that's something you would inquire about? 
Or do you think that that's just is that something you just didn't see happen at your hospice experience? And I, we do recognize that different hospice organizations across the country will have different uh, policies. So you do want to check. But if there was a facility where everybody came and was present, that mm-hmm. might be something like if you had a, a gift for the floor. <laughs> um, the situation that I was in, it was it was home health. So there really wasn't a place where that it's not collective like gift was going to reach everybody who yeah. was involved. So individual notes were actually really the smarter way to go in that case. And and I remember some of those. I remember some of the the real the particular personal connections that developed over that experience and that was one way that those were honored and I certainly appreciated it. But as far as the the cash gift, I think even some places there're going to be policies about not accepting that. Right. One of the questions Mary had asked was, do you thank them every time you come? I think there's that when you're dealing with kind of weeks long of end of life care, you can feel almost like every word out of your mouth is a thank you to everyone. And that can almost become overwhelming in its own right. How did you find balance in that? I think it's a question of dosage. The, you know, quick thanks, brief thanks, you acknowledge when someone's leaving. Thanks so Mm -hmm. much for coming in the same way hosts and guests do. So like as shifts change over, you would obviously thank someone at the end or if your time has come, it's time for you to leave for the day and go home and deal with whatever you have to deal with. You would say thank you. And obviously the little acts throughout the day when someone props up a pillow or changes a bedsheet or something like that, you say thank you for those things. But you don't have to – every single exchange doesn't have to include a thank you. Yeah, and, and I think the, the emotional weight of the thank you is something that you, you moderate. There are going to be times where you really want to connect with someone and you want to communicate the depth of feeling behind a thanks. Other times it's about just saying it so that it's, it continues to be part of the easy exchange between you. Mary, we know this can be a challenging time, and we're really grateful that you have support around you that is inspiring you to think about thanks. And we're also really thankful that organizations like hospice exist for everyone. Thanks for the question. We really appreciate it. Next question is titled, Our House Tech Rules. Dear etiquette experts, my in-laws are especially addicted to their cell phones, (laughs) to the point that even when we are dining out or dining at home, they will make calls, answer calls, text, internet search, etc. You get the picture. At my house, all cell phones get put away for dinner so we can talk to each other. Same goes for when we are out to eat. I want to teach my young children to be polite and respectful, which in my opinion includes putting away the cell phone during meals. How do I handle the in-laws' behavior politely, both at home and at a restaurant? Thank you, Jessica. Jessica, I say it's your house, your rules. We can talk about what to do at the restaurant in a minute. But this is one that's going to take some real effort. This is going to take some concerted effort because you're dealing with people's habits, and habits are really, really, really hard to break. And some people are really good about reminding themselves because they're in a different environment. They're not in their home. They're in your home. So, oh, in this home, cell phones go away. I can remember that because it's not my own home where my habits are even more ingrained. But you still, unfortunately, run into the issue of just people 
not wanting to, of people feeling like this is family so we can treat it casually. We don't need to pay attention to each other. It's just you guys. People (laughs) ignoring your polite requests. Exactly. So I would say be prepared to both set a standard in your home and enforce it. I would definitely talk to your kids and just remind them before all the in-laws come over for dinner that, guys, just a reminder, we are going to make sure that we put our cell phones away before dinner and I'm going to make an announcement about it. When you're setting out all the food for dinner, whether that's on the table or at a buffet, that's the point where I would let folks know that you are gathering at the table and that it is time to put those cell phones away because that is our policy at our home. And you could do that very gently. It doesn't have to be overt. You can say something like, it's time to put our phones away. So let those you've been texting, Snapchatting, Instagramming, tweeting with know that you are out of service for the next hour. I would love for everyone to also just take the extra effort to turn their ringers and notices off so that we can really have an undisrupted dinner. I think that's the kind of way that it's very clear mm-hmm. what the expectation is. But you are inviting people to do this in a, <laughs> and so that it's not put your phones away because you're such an addict. And you're being it's helpful. It's like, not like that. <laughs> yeah. If you're trying to help people break habits, yeah. it's about the, the pleasant reminder, the friendly reminder. It's like that note at the start of a movie that reminds you to turn off your phone. Goes, oh, good. I, it was in my pocket. It was going to go off at the most important part of this film. I appreciate that little reminder. I love Dan. You're so sweet. I wish people appreciated it as much as you do. So many family members and in-laws and relatives will grumble about this, and they'll feel that they have license to grumble. And I think that the answer then is to kill them with kindness and to just keep saying, I know it's tougher. I know it's different from your house. I completely understand that you don't like this, but this is how it is at our house and we find it really works for us. So thank you so much for for going with the rules of our house. For carving out this time to yeah. connect and share our meal together. Now Dan's getting the good sample language in here. Good. <laughs> I think you run into more of a problem. When you're talking about someone else's home or a restaurant where you're meeting on neutral ground and you don't have the same authority or standing to necessarily address everyone's behavior and and define the ground rules like an organizer at a meeting. Exactly. You might not be the host even. What if it's grandma and grandpa who are taking everyone out and you're just with the in-laws? What would you do? So first thought I had (laughs) was talk to your kids. Yeah. The challenges are also opportunities. That old cheesy saying that everybody's heard, but it's true. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm hearing my mother's voice. Explain ahead of time how you feel and what your expectations are. Let your children know the reasons why you think what you do and how that informs your actions and you hope will inform their actions or what standards you expect them to adhere to as your children, <laughs> as members of your family, as people. Talk about the importance of relationships, treating people well, acknowledge their intelligence, give them the reasons behind the things that you're saying and the ways that you think. The more I think about it, the more I think that this might not be such a bad thing, but that it's a really good opportunity to have these conversations with your children about the standards that they want to establish for themselves, whatever environments or situations that they're going to be in. You can encourage them to notice the way different people use their phones, how that makes them feel, how they think that might affect other people. Obviously, these are going to be age-appropriate conversations, but... (laughs) I'm trying to think of tearing, like, the young boys I babysit for away from from their video game. And they're pretty good about it, but, like, at a table when their cousins might be using them instead. Oh, that's a tough parenting moment. 
these devices are everywhere and people are using them for so many different reasons in so many different ways. And kids are going to have to be making a thousand choices that we didn't even have to make. When you're playing a game with your friends, is that connecting you to them? Mm -hmm. If you're playing that game with them in the same room versus if you're playing that game when you're both driving home later that night or when you're both at your respective homes the next day, do you say that when we're together, we're going to put our phones down and go play outside in the stream? Would you rather play the video games together? I like, I mean, I like the imagined scenario of the stream. Dad mind taking over over here. Totally. I really am appreciating the opportunity that this presents to talk to your kids and to talk to them about all of these things in a way that hopefully equips them to make decisions moving forward and doesn't turn you into the person that's trying to enforce rules that you think are important everywhere you go on people that may or may not agree. So, Jessica, we feel that in your home, definitely stand up for your standard. Absolutely, 100%. And when you get the grumbles back at you, keep that positive voice of, I understand, but this is how we do things here. Thank you for understanding. (laughs) Definitely keep that going. When you're at a restaurant, it might be one that you have to let slide a little bit more because you might not be in the position of host to really be requesting it. I would say, though, that you are in the position of participant and you could feel free to say, I would love it if this could be a phones-free meal. That's always something that you could ask. And you might even ask your host before you go to the restaurant if that's something they'd be willing to request. Definitely talk to your kids. You always have standing to talk with them and to be the parent that you want to be that's going to help them be the kids and the people someday that you hope they'll be also. Jessica, we hope this helps. Good luck fighting the good fight with cell phones. If you try, really try, you can root out the poor accidental habits and establish in their place the good habits approved by custom, accepted by society. Our next question is titled Sentimental vs. Ceremonial Gifts. Hello, my son is getting married on Memorial Day weekend, and there are two activities that I would like to know whether it is appropriate to perform during the ceremony or afterwards. Number one, my mother is deceased, and my dad and I decided to give the bride her sapphire ring guard. Is it given during the ceremony? If so, is it announced that we are doing this? Second, My son is a U.S. Air Force pilot, and upon graduation, we participated in the Breaking of the Wings ceremony. Since he is getting married, I will give his bride the half to the wing I was given. Is this done during the wedding ceremony? Thanks, Nell. Nell, thank you for the question, and congratulations to your son and his fiancée. So let's take your questions one at a time. The first question about the sapphire ring guard. Mm -hmm. You could certainly do this as part of the ceremony. It's – I wouldn't say the most common thing. No, yeah. But there are also – and I'm so hesitant to say it. (laughs) I can see it. (laughs) There are no rules. It's really up to you how you construct a wedding ceremony that's really meaningful to you. And Well, it's up to the bride and groom to conduct it in a way that's meaningful to them. (laughs) Well said. (laughs) And sometimes that means – Crafting or constructing a ceremony that's very traditional or falls within a certain tradition. And 
if if that's the case, usually the exchange of wedding rings is the most common thing that happens. The ring guard, which I've learned from my cousin, is mm. often part of a set of rings. So what we're talking about here is you often have your actual wedding band, you have your engagement ring, and then you have what's called a guard ring that kind of holds, holds them all it. in place. I think you're just adding another ring to another ring. But guard rings are really popular. They're very beautiful. They can come as a set or they can be individual. My mom has three completely separate rings, but she wears them all together on that ring finger and loves the look. Um, my best friend has a set that actually like fits around the engagement ring. So she ends up with a, a wedding ring that kind of has one shape to it and a guard ring that has kind of the mirroring shape to it. And they all fit together making the engagement ring then be quite a statement afterwards. So you see this done different ways, but typically that guard ring has no focus during the ceremony. You would not make an announcement that this is a gift from a such and such. Often those gifts are given privately ahead of time. And I think that that would be the way to go with this as well, that you wouldn't uh, kind of make the big announcement during the ceremony, but it is something that the bride would absolutely tell people about. So I think if you'd like to... I like that. Yeah. If you'd like to have her wear it on the day, and bear in mind that we are talking about a woman's choice to wear what it is that she would like to wear. Um, And so she may choose not to. My sister did not wear the earrings that my grandmother gave to her the day before the wedding on the wedding day. She had already had a set picked out. She felt confident about it. It was the way it was. I ended up wearing those earrings so that granny could see them in the wedding and and a part of things, but just not, uh, you know, my sister didn't have to give up the look that she had uh, curated for herself. I really like the way you're thinking about honoring relationships in terms of the way you're thinking about including people and letting people know about the significance of this ring. I think the answer to the second question kind of comes from the same place. Very similar, very similar answer. That, again, there's there's no rules from the <laughs> from the civilian side of things, from the etiquette side of things. There are traditions. You really can construct a ceremony, build a ceremony that's meaningful and significant to you any way that you would like. Traditionally, this wouldn't be a big part of a traditional ceremony. Yeah, the giving of the half wing to the now wife as opposed to the mother who received it during the breaking of the wing ceremony. But again, I really like your idea of thinking about how to honor that transition. Maybe you talk about it during a toast or do an announcement that's some part of one of the other events that's part of this wedding, some of the other or ceremonial moments? I could see during the reception, during the toasting, making sure that you're in the lineup of someone who could do something, and they often do a presentation of a gift. Sometimes I've seen, for instance, at the Aronson weddings, it was a, a son and three daughters, and the, the three sisters, when the son got married, presented him with a gift, he and his wife with a gift. And I, it was very nice. It was very sentimental. It felt very appropriate during the dinner to have that announcement be made, and everyone paid attention to it and watched it. Um, So I could see that being a really touching moment within the reception to schedule a little time to make sure that this gift is presented. And, you know, you can say, now that you're a part of the family, I feel that this wing really belongs to you or something like that. That could be a beautiful way to pass it on. Again, I like that. And it keeps the focus of the ceremony really on the couple. Yes, exactly. If there's ever a question about the military side of things, you can always contact a protocol officer. And most bases will have a protocol officer. And that's one of the things they're there for is they're there to help you figure out military ceremony and protocol. And they can answer questions about what's usual or normal from the military side of things much better than we can. 
Nell, we hope that this helps. It sounds like you have some wonderful things planned for your future daughter-in-law. When we first planned to move into that two-family house, I thought of all those mother-in-law jokes. Still, they couldn't apply to nice people like us. Our next question is titled, Not a Shower Show-Off. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I am so honored and excited to be hosting a baby shower for my sister-in-law this summer. There's one bit of etiquette I'm struggling to find the answer to. Is it customary for the host to also bring a gift for the guest of honor? It seems like a no-brainer that it would be perfectly okay to do so since gifting is a key component of the event. Mm -hmm. But I can always do it privately if it might appear ostentatious to give the party and a present. Thanks. Not a shower show-off. Not a shower show-off. You are not showing off at this shower at all. It is perfectly polite for you to get a gift. My my mother hosting for Cousin Jill gave a gift. Absolutely. It's perfectly fine to do so. You don't have to buy the most expensive gift on her registry, but you could absolutely, absolutely do a gift. I also want to put it out there for hosts who really do feel the financial strain of hosting a shower that you can always do a small, sweet, kind of more, and I hate the phrase, but token gift to mark the occasion. It doesn't, like we say, it doesn't have to be the biggest, most exciting gift on the registry. Shower host, not a shower show off showing off at all. Peter Piper picked a pack of pickled peppers. That was pretty close. (laughs) Have a great time hosting the shower. All the best. Have fun. Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates, comments, or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question or feedback on the show. Speaking of feedback, each week we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. We had a very just go for it and be yourself type of feedback coming from an anonymous listener out in Oregon. Um, And here is their attitude towards being served that raw food from last week's episode. I'm responding to what I'm hearing this morning about eating a meal that your chef thinks is done and you think is raw. And I have a lot of experience with this. I live on the West Coast, and seared ahi is a thing. And I just learned a long time ago, if I order anything that everybody else cooks in a different way, I say, medium. Every time I go to a certain lunch restaurant, yes, I want salmon on my salad. It needs to be medium. It needs to be cooked through. And so I'm really used to saying that to the cook, and I finally trained him. I just say, that looks raw to me. I cannot eat it. Can we put it on the grill for another two minutes? And so I just learned to be really upfront with that right away because it is a health issue. So I would encourage people to not feel like that's bad. I think it's important to just say, I understand this steak tartare is supposed to be fabulous. I'm sure it tastes great. I cannot eat it. Anonymous, thank you so much for sharing that. You are right. At some point at the end of the day, you just kind of have to say, I'm really sorry. I can't eat that. Or I'm really sorry. I, it would really make me feel more comfortable if I could have that served just cooked a little bit longer. 
among close friends, among your regular entertaining circles, we know that this was with kind of a quasi-business colleague, so it was a little different, but it's absolutely fine. Safety supersedes etiquette, and so if you don't feel safe eating something, please do not eat it. Lizzie Post, safety supersedes etiquette. You like this? Safety supersedes. Thanks, cuz. It's a great thing to keep in mind. Our next piece of feedback comes from an anxious planner and responsible party. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. First of all, I love your podcast. I just recently discovered your podcast, and I absolutely love it. You make my daily drive that much better with the way you positively encourage others and yourselves to handle (laughs) tricky situations that we all face on a daily basis. It's a great way to begin and end my day. So as a new listener, I've been going backwards, listening to your shows, and most recently listened to episode 178. That was discussing having a small appetite at dinners. And while I'm completely sympathetic and have often been there myself, it did raise some thoughts I had about the times I've been out at dinners. My husband and I love to go out to dinners and love to double date with other couples. However, being in our late 20s, we are always trying to weave the delicate balance of picking restaurants that another couple or even non-couples we're friends with also want to eat at and can afford to eat at. At this stage in our lives as friends, we don't always make the same income or have the same priorities, especially since we do not have children and have maybe a higher discretionary income amount to spend on things like dining out. We always try to ask another couple where they would like to eat or try to delicately navigate those waters to not pick a place that's outside of anyone's budget. But on the occasion that we end up at a restaurant that was our pick, I'm always nervous about having overstepped that line. To me, if someone is just ordering an appetizer for their entree, I feel terrible that we may have overstepped a delicate line of price and have put them in an awkward situation. It might be something I'm just more attuned to, being the age we are, and having remembered the feeling of being in my early 20s and starting my first job and wanting to go out and eat but not really being able to afford nice places. I don't really know if this is a solution to a problem or not, but I just wanted to put it out in the universe as a thought for anyone else that's like me and would have had the same concern. I'm never able to eat whole portions at restaurants. Neither can my husband, so we solve the waste issue by splitting our meals a lot of the time and maybe ordering an appetizer for the table to share. I don't know if other listeners would have the same opportunity, especially since I know lots of people who can't or don't share entrees with their spouses. Mm -hmm. Again, love your show and hope this might add a little to the dialogue about eating out and some of the other viewpoints around dining. All the best. An anxious planner and responsible party. Well, first of all, one of the things that's great about your feedback is that you're just simply really aware of the people around you. I love the fact that you guys offer different types of restaurants to go to. You can also always say, let me know what you think about price range or the type of food that we're suggesting. Happy to do anything or go anywhere that works for you. Once you've said that, the it's really on the other party to then take you up on it. If they aren't taking you up on that, then I've got to say, like, they're putting themselves in a situation. You aren't doing it. They may decide to go to that restaurant and order that small appetizer because that's just what works for them or because they really want to eat at that restaurant and this is the way that they can afford it. And let let them live in that space of it if they're comfortable with that and that works for them for the evening. There's no reason to feel badly just because someone isn't ordering an entree, an appetizer, a dessert, and two cocktails. And in the same way you can let them take control of themselves and what they're ordering, 
you can also do some of the things you've suggested. I totally. love the idea of offering or just going ahead and ordering something for the table to share, but letting people know that that's what you're doing. So mm-hmm. if you're splitting a tab and you say, I would love to get this for the table to share, then it's very clear that it's both intended for everyone to enjoy together and that you're going to assume that cost at the end of the meal. Oh, wow. I don't think it would be clear from that, Dan. If you if you propose that at the table, I would say to myself, oh, well, I I don't know. I would think that the that the sharing is of the food and the cost if you suggested it. But I do think that you could phrase that in a way that says we would love to take care of ordering something to share for the table and we'll we'll put it on our bill at the end. I think making it explicitly clear lets that other person be really comfortable. I love that you were just in the assuming role of like, oh, if I'm going to suggest to the table, I'm going to order it. I'm going to put it on my tab because that's a it's like a generous space to start from. But communicating that to someone else, I think, will make it a little bit easier for them to say, ah, I understand. I don't have to feel nervous and tally things up in my head. I also think that it's perfectly all right before you get to the restaurant to decide how this is going to be divvied up. When I'm really worried about the cost that I'm inflicting upon a meal, it's because we've decided to split the meal. And if we've decided to split, I think all of your thoughts, anxious planner, responsible party, are right on target because you do need to check in and take into account someone else's split that you're dealing with. When it's separate checks, then you should just feel free to do whatever is going to work. Feel free to offer to share food that you purchase if you if you would like to. You don't have to. Um, but I think that it's absolutely fine in that situation when you know everyone's taking care of their own to not worry about that appetizer dinner that someone chooses to order. I order appetizers as a dinner all the time, and it really works for me size-wise. I can't eat the giant meals that we often get served at restaurants. That soup sounds good. I want soup, too. Yes! I want dessert, too. No one else is getting soups and desserts. Separate checks. Separate checks. It makes it really, really easy. Anxious planner, we think you don't have very much to be anxious about. And I know that this has been feedback that we've quasi answered as a question. But I just want to say, I think that you're doing a great job at looking out for your friends and being really aware. That is the biggest point of etiquette. And being able to share this with all of our listeners, I think we're going to have a lot more people feel relaxed around the dinner table over the coming weeks. Yes, Ralph has a budget and a method of saving that shows results. How will you do it? Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And Dan, you've, you've done today's Postscript. Tell me what we're doing. So today's Postscript is also kind of a extension of our feedback. Okay, okay. Because today's postscript really builds out of some feedback we got on Facebook. We have a new feature. We're feeding daily etiquette content, a daily etiquette calendar from the Etiquette Daily (laughs) to our social media, to 
our Facebook pages for both Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. And we posted on May 7th a calendar reminder about equal opportunity chivalry. It's inspiration, right? And it was about the idea of walking on the outside. And it reads, The custom of a man walking between his female companion and the street was the custom on the days when carriages splashed mud and ladies' finery needed shielding. These days, it doesn't matter who is walking on the street side of the sidewalk. And this thought about the evolution of chivalry inspired a few replies that were all about people who treasured these traditional expressions of chivalry that we said no longer necessarily applied now that the practical reason or cause for that chivalry wasn't the same. So we live in a world where streets aren't as muddy or messy as they used to be and where people frankly, have clothes that don't require the same kind of care that they used to. And the the idea that a man would protect a woman by always walking on the street side of his companion when they were walking together doesn't have the same practical concern that it maybe once did. Yeah, We have had the discussion on this show about the way chivalry changes and evolves. I remember we talked about a woman walking on a man's Right or left. And the origins of whether a man could draw his sword to protect her being a big part of that original consideration. and Few swords and sheaths these days really get in the way of dating. <laughs> we've talked a lot about professional standards, business etiquette standards that are very much gender neutral where we're really more firm about establishing a basic code of conduct that is gender neutral, that that treats everyone as an equal. So really trying to represent the types of relationships that we see in the world today and that have been around for a very long time and haven't gotten a lot of recognition or that have been forced into strange gendered um, equivalents of chivalry that don't make sense. And so we really say that chivalry nowadays is so much about looking around and seeing what you can do to help the people around you and to be kind and courteous and thoughtful towards them. And it Gender matters not. Age matters not. Um, they can be factors that play in accordance with tradition, but they are by no means limited to those areas. And it was that respect or honor for tradition that I was hearing in a lot of the feedback we got to this post. Mm -hmm. And I can certainly appreciate that. And within certain traditions, within certain awareness and certain customs – it is really nice when those traditions are honored and it can be a way to show that respect, to show that courtesy, to make your chivalry, your respect for everyone around you an explicit part of your behavior and the way you conduct yourself. There is something to knowing what other people's expectations are and making an effort to meet them. So while you might not lay your coat in a mud puddle for someone. Maybe you would. Maybe that's a, a type of chivalry that you are maintaining. But I never very, understood that one. Very I mean, few people on. do. <laughs> maybe the sword side still matters to you. But maybe walking on a street side is a way that you show someone respect and courtesy in a relationship today. And I, I also want to leave room to honor that and respect that as well. And it's fun to know about these traditions, where they come from, know the reasons that they were in place to begin with. Because that also, I think, enables us to play intelligently with them as traditions change and right. evolve. We're talking about trying to keep clean. We're talking about, you know, trying to feel comfortable and confident or safe as you walk down the street. Those are all things we still think about today. Chivalry is most certainly not dead, but it has wonderfully evolved. 
I couldn't agree more. And I wanted to thank everyone for the feedback on our post because it gives us the opportunity to continue to talk about and investigate these concepts. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. And today we have a lovely salute from Stephanie. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I love your podcast so much. You've given me great advice in the past, and I was so excited to hear my email read on the air, so we've answered a question. I am hoping to get as lucky with this one, and you will. We, we do try to air every single salute that we possibly can. My etiquette salute is to my niece, Lindsay. I know it often comes up on the podcast that the younger generation gets a bad rep with regard to etiquette and consideration. This is another example to dispel that nonsense. My son is in college at the University of North Carolina at Wilmington. Go Seahawks! He needed to get his bike home for the summer. His dad will fly him home, but I was struggling with how to get the bike home. I live in Atlanta, and Wilmington is six and a half hours away. Lindsay was going to be in Durham, North Carolina for a job interview, and when she heard my dilemma, she generously offered to drive over to Wilmington to pick up the bike. This was a five-hour round-trip drive out of her way. It helped me tremendously. This is only one example of all the wonderful things she does for our family. She is the oldest of all the cousins. She just turned 24 in April and goes out of her way to help her aunts, grandparents, and cousins. She's driven to Savannah to help my sister when she needed emergency daycare. She thinks nothing of piling all the kids into her car to take them out for frozen yogurt or a movie. When two of the cousins were struggling with their parents' divorce, she spent extra time with them at Christmas doing things she knew they liked to do. She's the perfect big sister to all her cousins. Of course she will get a thank you note in the mail, but it would be great if she could also hear this on the podcast. She is an avid listener, too. She's an amazing young woman, and the unselfish way she helps out our family is truly something worthy of this salute. Sincerely, Stephanie. Thank you, Stephanie. And thank you, Lindsay, yes. for being such an ambassador for your generation, for being such an inspiring example to your family as well as to the awesome etiquette audience. I was going to say, like, forget being a, a young person. She's just awesome. You are one of those awesome people we all hope to meet and, and get to have an exchange with and be a part of your life. Because I'm guessing, Lindsay, you make a lot of people's lives a lot better. Thank you for listening. Thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And I'm at Lizzie A. Post. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. You can help us out, become a sustaining member by visiting awesomeetiquette.emilypost.com or subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast app and please consider leaving us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. Thanks, Thanks Chris. Chris.